Welcome back to another episode of the Let's Venture podcast. Today on the show, we have Colin Jones, the co-founder of Resi, an online streaming solution for organizations and businesses. Colin and I go way back to our days at the University of Arkansas before we started our careers. Colin talks to us all about leadership, growing a company, and the lessons learned along the way. Listen in for some incredible advice and encouragement as you lead your small business. Hi, I'm Molly. And I'm Drew. Welcome to the Let's Venture podcast. Here, we celebrate the wins, learn from the losses, and teach you tools to propel your small business forward. From feeling stuck in my healthcare career to creating a thriving photography business. To Molly poaching me for my corporate job. We're here to teach you how to build the small business of your dreams. Each week, you'll find yourself feeling motivated, encouraged, and in good company. That's us. So grab your drink of choice. And let's venture. Welcome, Colin, to the Let's Venture podcast. We're so glad you're here. Thanks, y'all, and followed your journey. And you have a very cool business, and I'm excited about this new one starting. Oh man, it's it's been a wild ride, and we're, we've loved watching you over the years too. Found your business, and so can you give us a little bit of background on how you became an entrepreneur and your career in general, but then where you founded your first company? Yeah, we were in. Yeah, and it was like a bunch of failure that led up to it, and then uh, consider myself very fortunate at the end. <laughs> but but there's a lot of different journey points through there that are still ongoing too. So yeah, I live in Golden, Colorado now. We started Resi. Do you just want me to share the story? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So Resi is a company that does live streaming. It was the first one that could do it well over the public internet. We had a few patents around that. So you would have you know things like this that you're doing that were recording live. I know that this would be post-produced, but you know, big companies, big broadcasters. You guys just told me that you went to a Denver hockey game, which I'm forgetting the uh the, the name of their team, Avalanche. which is really bad for a lot of reasons. You're a local. But, Come on. Yeah. I remembered the Kraken. So there, you, there go. you go. Sports. And so, you know, they would broadcast live and they would pay a few million dollars for like a dark fiber connection so that they wouldn't have streaming issues, but everybody else couldn't afford that. And so we invented a way to do it on like a delay over the public internet. And then a lot of other people wanted it. And so it, it scaled pretty quickly. And that was probably about four years before COVID. And then COVID hit and it grew a lot. And then we sold it about a year and a half ago. And then now I'm working for the company that bought us, which is called Pushpay, who is a great company. And so the, the way that we got it started, I, I, I got to start an entrepreneurship when I was like, ever since I was a kid, kind of, I would do random things. But like in 16, when I was 16 years old, I, I started working in different technology companies and then was just fortunate to have a friend that started a couple like his was called click motive which was like an automotive software for inventory management and websites and you know the, the latter and then kind of did that throughout college and then had my own it's kind of cool i heard i heard from a friend that there's kind of three types of businesses over the arc and first one is like a service business the second one is a scale business and the third is a legacy business so my kind of legacy business was like a really small like marketing firm where i'd build websites for people before websites were easy to do. <laughs> yeah. And then we yeah. would do billboards and random stuff. It's kind of fun. I still see like random billboards when I'm driving down of like, oh, we did the art for that. Oh and my I haven't gosh. changed it in like 12 years. <laughs> like the company really... that you started at 16. The artwork yeah, is still I was on the billboard. Like, yeah. People were really dumb to trust me, but there is like, probably started doing that stuff when I was like 18 or 19. Wow. And then, uh, and I would charge like, I remember, I think for that billboard, I probably made $90. Because I was charging like thirty dollars an hour, which was awesome for like a nineteen-year-old, right? And that probably took me three hours to do. 
And I was like thinking, you know, every time I see it, I'm like, man, I got really ripped off on that, but you know, it's okay. And that they're still using it today. You're like, wow, they really got the best deal of the century. If you do the math, their investment day over day, it goes really far. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully they're happy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. But yeah. And we did, you know, random things like that. And then I wanted to kind of get like a corporate gig at a software company after college. And I had a lot of impact. That was like a really hard time for me thinking about what I wanted to do. Um, I think it probably is for everybody. And I had a ton of imposter syndrome. And then, and I actually like failed. I was, I had to go to San Fran for a second interview. And then I was supposed to do a presentation because it was like a job that you're presenting a lot. And I couldn't remember the next word. Like I just like totally went blank. So it was in front of like a, a room of people. Yeah. Wow. And I probably should have prepared more for it, but I felt like I prepared a lot for it and just couldn't say the next word. Like, and I've never had that happen to me. I, I did like a lot of presentations throughout college and was a student instructor and had a lot of different demos, software demos that I led. Just couldn't remember the next word. So I was super bummed. And then I ended up getting a pretty fun job, but it was, it was a pretty corporate environment. Um, but really thankful for all the people there. But every day, kind of at two o'clock, I was like, oh, when can I do yeah. something adventurous or whatever? So then yeah. we ended up starting, there was two really close friends that had started the technology part of Resi. Um, and that were really smart and one worked for Hewlett Packard and the other Cisco. And um, so they created the technology and then I was kind of helping for free and then came on and then we got to build it together. That was kind of my journey. Oh my wow. goodness. So you kind of, you know, it sounds like even as growing up, you always had this entrepreneurial mind. And then when you graduated college, were you thinking to yourself, I will eventually be an entrepreneur again? Or were you like, okay, time to be corporate, time to work for you know a bigger company and like climb the corporate ladder? Yeah, I think I didn't know if I would start a company, if it would work, but I always wanted to do that. And so I, I always thought it was probably smarter to do that on the side rather than going full in. And so that's basically what I did. And I think that was good. Yeah. Because I did go full-time pretty early on. Like I used to do it in lunch breaks and stuff like that, which was you know, a challenge of itself. But that was a very short season and then went full-time pretty quick. But yeah, it, nights and weekends with two jobs is not easy. Right. But my wife was going to grad school. And so, you know, I couldn't have no money. For, for yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So kind of when you started Resi, you were really in that grind phase. It was like full-time job fitting Resi in as almost a second full-time job wherever you could. And then can you tell us the process of, so you have your corporate job, you're starting with Resi, and then how did you go from there? How did you eventually go to full-time with Resi? And what was your role from the beginning in that process? Yeah. So I managed the sales, marketing, finance, HR, product strategy, high level with, with Paul. Paul did that too. And then Paul did a lot of product, technical support, and then we had Brad on the team, who's kind of our genius, who makes a patent in four hours or whatever. So he he was a, he's still you know, a chief engineer at our company. Um, mm. It's it's wonderful, and so that's kind of how we broke that apart. And the yeah, I mean it was you know doing anything you can, right? I remember doing our financial plan and like being like, oh, we can you know hire people, uh, and that was great when I got to go full time. But definitely still scary. <laughs> yeah, um, as I'm sure it was for you, Molly. Oh, totally. I think it's like that moment of you have to decide you're going to bet on yourself. You know, it's like, I'm not going to get the paycheck unless my company like does something. Whereas in a corporate job, you're like, well, 
you know, if I'm feeling a little down this week, I can, I'll still get this paid the same amount. It's like that moment of jumping into entrepreneurship can be scary, but also very empowering. Yeah. That first step into the unknown, taking the first step, I feel like is the hardest part. Sounds cliche. Yeah. I do think you're right, which is why it's so great. You know, we can, we can do things on the side, you know, so you can kind of test mm-hmm. it. But I do think like you guys have probably talked about this a bit, but the industrial age and how it's impacted entrepreneurship, you know, it used to be like, and this, there's this guy named Jeremy Pryor that gave me this quote, but um, it used to be that like, if you're an employee, you're like working for somebody else, else's family, you know, like you wouldn't, like you would technically be in someone else's household, like you're building someone else's life, et cetera. And that's how people used to think. Yeah. And then with the industrial age, it, it's trained us to think that owning a business or starting a business is the most risky mm-hmm. when really it's probably one of the most stable things you can do, you know, after initial traction, because then you're in control, right? right. Um, you can't get laid off. You have, you know, different income streams as you get bigger that you can diversify. And I think, yeah, I saw another stat that was like 20% of baby boomers own businesses, which is a ton. You know, if you think about one every five people, like one out of every five of my friends doesn't own businesses, right? Wow, yeah. And so that's like the generation that is now, you know, passing on um, those businesses and thinking through that. So I do think like buying local is a big deal there. Like if you try to buy local anywhere, right? Oh, that's yeah. building instead of building five white guys wealth <laughs> in the United States. Totally. You know, yes. You're building individual families and communities and And keeping the money local too is so big. So you started Resi and you're now full-time and you mentioned earlier, you were like, we can hire people like looking at the budget and stuff like that. Was this your start in leadership? What did you have people underneath you right away? Or were you like leading the broader team right away? Can you get into that a little bit? Yeah. And it, it probably got less fun for me at like 30 employees. I think when we sold to Pushpay, we had about 130, 150. And around probably that 30 to 50 employee mark is where you start to hire people, I think, that are motivated probably more on stability than like risk-taking. And I never, I don't think, managed people that were more focused on that. And so, and I'm motivated by risk-taking growth. And so that became a challenge for me that I had to learn. You know, you also um, start to value different things at that size, right? So people are more specialized in roles rather than generalists. And so you have to start adding a lot more process and structure, which is not my strength. <laughs> and so, so I think we had a lot of growing pains in those seasons. But fortunately, Paul, who is my partner, is very structure and process oriented. And so that was a good yin yang. But yeah, I think like I had managed a few people um, before that in different roles. But that was definitely my first time like leading a company and you know, mixed reviews, right? You probably have 10% of the organization that would love to see <laughs> have seen me not lead at a time. Yeah, but sure. totally. you have a lot of people that so yeah, I think I think I always just tried to, you know, I had to learn a lot that there's a lot of good leadership podcasts that are really helpful. And I'm sure stuff that y'all listen to as well. But yeah, I just really had to lean into constantly getting better and listening to feedback and not letting that change my identity, but also being okay with being weak and saying like, you know, that's something that I need to add or change or, or listen and do. And so that's, that's been a journey for me. <laughs> I feel like that's the part of learning and being molded into a leader and into anything really. But being molded is, I like to think of like a potter, like it pushing on and shaping a cup or a, a pot or something. And that pushing and molding is not always fun right. <laughs> when you're getting yeah. pushed and stuff like that. Right. So you obviously had to a learn as you went through. So 
you talked about when you got bigger, it was more difficult. But tell me about that first start. Like, what lessons were you learning from zero to 30 employees? And what was the most influential things you learned? Yeah, that was such a fun season. And like, I think, like, I just had drinks with a buddy that went through that season with us. He was my first hire. Wow. And he's one of my favorite people, you know, and you just, you know, you have so many trips together. You have so many different experiences where like, we're going to throw out this number. They're crazy if they take it, you know, or whatever. And then they do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, play it cool, play it cool. (laughs) So, yeah. So there's just like so much thrill in that time. You're drinking from a fire hose, you know, like we were getting, you know, there's just like crazy opportunities all the time, you know, that come in the door that you're like, wow, that's really awesome when you're kind of hitting that traction level. You know, I learned this from someone, but, you know, revenue solves most problems, right? So I think like, you know, the focus in that time period is as you're scaling, like, you know, as as important as it is to focus on, you know, process and and how you're going to scale. I think we were focused mostly on the growth part of it. And that was great. I mean, I would do that the same. I think I would do a lot of things different <laughs> on the on the rest, but we had we tried to create you know just an amazing customer experience. And that's what we were really focused around. And I think SaaS companies are really great at you know having incentives to make it customer focused because mm-hmm. net net revenue retention is a big metric there, and what that measured by is like your your customer base you know from twelve months ago and then what they're paying you now, and that that includes customers leaving you, all of that. And Resi had really high net revenue retention. And that was a really big goal for us. So we were, we were obsessed with having an awesome customer experience. And then, you know, it paid off, which is good. Because if you're, if you're taking care of customers, if you're building things that are relevant to them, then they're going to buy more stuff from you because that's what's helpful to them. And so we, we, we tried to never think about how they would buy more stuff from us and how they would be impacted right, um, by the next products and stuff that we would build. And that worked out, I think, really well to be more obsessed with the customer experience. And there's a lot you know, written to that and a lot that I learned through that period on that. That was, that was great. So we had great customer support, great success, great product and wasn't perfect, but we were very authentic with what was wrong. We would tell people like, yeah, you're not, not a good fit for us. I'm sorry for these reasons. And here's why we're great. Here's why we suck. Sure. And I think that built a lot of trust. And so that way, if they they did buy our product, you know, they'd be like, oh, I knew about this before I signed up and therefore I love Resi. So I'll share it with my friends, you know. Did you have to teach your employees to treat customers that way, at least your first few, or did you make hire strategically that they already thought that way? Or was that like a process that you had to lead your team in? Yeah. Hiring was took us forever sure. for that reason, because I didn't want to hire a first person that didn't get that. So all of our first hires were that way. And it became hard as we scaled. It took us forever to find roles, which is a bummer, but I, I don't think I would have changed that because I think it's more important to find the right person than and solve the temporary problem of like, oh, I'm having to do all this extra work because there's yeah. not an employee sitting in that desk. Yeah, it became challenging once we started a, scaling a sales team because <laughs> yeah. sales wants to get the revenue out. And so we hired a really great sales leader, I think that really internalized the vision. And that was really helpful. Yeah. Do you have any tips for our listeners of, you know, if they're at that phase of their business where they're ready to make maybe their first hire or one of their first hires, things they should look for in who they're hiring or questions they should ask in that hiring process that you feel like were pivotal for you guys? Yeah, I feel like the hard thing to do in that time period is probably value like diversity. And so you're mostly looking at experience. And what I mean by that is like you don't know how to value what you're not good at in that time period. Yeah. And so I think like doing thinking around that of what am I 
what am I uniquely gifted at? And then let's be honest, what am I not good at? Like we did this exercise that that a pastor friend told me about that I think was really good. And you go to your people above you, side of you, below you that are close with you. And you say like, what can you count on me for? What can you not count on me for? And then I forgot the third one, but those two are the helpful ones. And that was really clarifying to show the the weaknesses, especially professionally. Cause like, you know, my downline told me and were honest with me. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's all good points. And yeah. uh, so, you know, you want to hire around those. So like mine were structured. So like if I was bringing in a VP of sales, like they had to be really organized and structured. It probably didn't matter as much if they were really great at storytelling or the technical sides, because those were some of the strengths of mine, you know, or whatever. And yeah, I, think I that love was a helpful exercise. I lo- I love that point. I think um I'm like taking notes over here. I'm like that is such a good point of one I think it's really vulnerable to also ask and do that exercise cuz no one likes to hear what they're not good at, but it's it's that thing of separating like yourself from your business too and knowing like for my business to grow, for this to be successful, like I need to know my weaknesses and like for people around me to be honest so that I can help my business be the best it can be. I think it's a good point. Yeah. You said it it took you guys longer to hire because yeah. right? you wanted to make the right hire, but then it holistically shaped your business because you made the right hires. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. And I think being really clear, clear is kind. And that was a really hard thing for me to learn because I wanted to please people. I'm a people pleaser. And so learning that uh, made a big difference. So like anytime I heard anything that seemed misaligned, you know, I'd kind of talk about it brutally. It would offend people at first, but then it wouldn't over the long run because they would know like, oh, okay, now I have clarity. Yeah. And like, that's really uncomfortable, but now I have clarity. I should have probably done that way earlier, but that was really great. But I'm still learning that. But yeah, I, that's one of the things I hit on early in my career too, is clear as kind. I was in a, a growth heavy organization. We grew like a hundred percent year over year, like for three years in a row. And so the clarity got really muddled really quickly of what's the point of this exercise? What are we going after this customer for? And clarity was something that I fought for hard. So that's really cool. Yeah. And I admire all the brands that you've worked for, Drew, by the way. They're oh, all yeah. really cool customer-centric brands. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I, I mean, Between the Pine too is a massively customer-centric brand biased, but oh talking to Molly gosh. here, how customer-centric she is and how it's taught me a lot too. Yeah. So. I love that you hit on that too, Colin, of like, from the beginning, you're like, we are going to make an incredible customer experience. And so much of that was the transparency of like, here's what we're good at. Here's what we're not good at. Like, here are the expectations. Again, that goes back to like clear is kind and it creates like the best customer experience you can. A lot of companies we've talked to and individuals we've talked to are very obsessed with the client and the experience that the client has. And I think that goes a long way to show how successful their businesses have become because of that. So we've talked a lot about what you could have done differently or like the things you may have learned. Let's talk about like a win. What was one thing, what was one of your like biggest wins as a leader? Yeah, I don't know. I think a lot more about the weaknesses, which is probably a weakness. But the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think just getting great people, it, you know, that when I think about like the most fun that I have, have had, you know, it's, it's the people um, and the relationships. And there's a few things that tank startups, right? And that's like, partner difficulties is on the top of the list, right? Which sometimes does relate to money or whatever. And so, you know, we've walked through a lot of really hard conversations as partners or with our first employees and you just do in business, right? Like you, now I've come to just expect that and it's part of the thing. You know, if people have miscommunications that come up, they have expectations that are unmet, they have, you know, et cetera, et cetera. 
And so I think like the most fun part of that is just dealing with those with a lot of, I guess, space and patience and all being focused on the same thing and keeping the mission, the core. I think something that we did well was, you know, we started with the with a mission and we hired people that have really high character and didn't stray from that, at least from those core kind of people. And I think the biggest mistakes that I've made are hiring people without that, that had the experience, you know, that I was really impressed with and th- those just don't work out well. And so it's kind of funny because you, you know, I went through a stage where I let go of some of my kind of principle based hiring because it seemed kind of out like, oh, okay, not sophisticated or like, so I adopted some other hiring principles more based on the industry or whatever. And I just found out it was so much more important to have the the character standpoint than that. And those are the most fun memories of doing awesome things with people. You know, we'd have really high expectations and it was, it's just really fun to be able to accomplish something great with, with great people. Yeah. I love that. Well said. Yeah. All right. So for our listeners who are getting started in their leadership journey, you know, they're thinking about maybe having their first hire or they just started their business. Do you have any specific advice for them? I think, you know, there's a lot of opportunity. Having an abundance mentality is really helpful. I read this book called Abundance like 15 years ago. That was really great. I'm sure there's a lot more good ones. But, you know, what we've already talked about, which is being willing to receive feedback, ask for it. I think that's really the only way that you can get significantly better. (laughs) And of course, like inhale resources, you know, there's a lot of them. If you don't like reading, there's a lot of podcasts like this one. You know, there's there's a lot of industry specific podcasts that are really helpful depending on your inner, you know, industry. I also think not sacrificing a ton of your personal life is important. Just being like a healthy person. Like in those seasons, it's really easy to do that. And then your leadership starts to go because you're not taking care of, you know, your life. And so like I had an executive tell me one time and you guys might've taken his class but Rich Lawrence. I was going to ask you earlier if you took that class. That was my favorite yeah. class in college. Yeah, and he's great. I'll send him this podcast and tell him that I gave him a shout out. He, he used to say that there's four burners. And one is like family, health, work. And uh, I forget what the other one was. Family, health, work. Whatever it was, there's four burners. He's like, you could only have two on at the same time, basically. Which I think like our generation is challenging that thought. And him and I have talked about this. Where you know you, you really can't like sacrifice your family probably and and be healthy you know you really can't sacrifice so i I think like holistically actually caring about your life even though it's a season that is going to be rough you know for for a few years (laughs) if you're starting something yes i feel like i have really learned that the hard way there are a few Mm. years for sure when i was really growing between the pine my like self-care out the window like i don't know if you ever had this colin but i would wake up immediately go to my laptop. I'm working. I look up. I'm like, I haven't eaten it. It is 2 p.m. And there's no way my brain is going to be able to function. And like my leadership is going to be top notch, like you said, because it's like, you're just not taking care of yourself as holistically. Yeah. You know, I think thinking of those as sprints, you know, if you're going to like be an entrepreneur forever, you probably think about it differently than if you want to exit in 10 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think you guys probably know this, but you know, there's a season for me of a long period of time where every single shower was thinking about how I can grow or this personal problem, personnel yep. problem, yep. or, you know, whatever. Yep. But out of that season, I'm really thankful for that. Now I have showers in peace again. <laughs> where I can <laughs> imagine, you know, have an imagination again. And it's totally. Really yes. Your head isn't swimming with just the problem of the day kind of thing. Oh You're able gosh. to dream and be who you are as a leader. You started yeah. a company to dream and to accomplish big things and to only be thinking about the internal problems, like working in the business instead of on it. Yeah. That's, that's hard. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
Well, so what's what's next in your leadership journey? You mentioned that you guys were acquired and you're now working for Pushpay. What's what's next? Are you still leading and what's beyond that? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm a chief ambassador for Pushpay, which is actually a really fun role. So I get to, you know, work with some of our largest customers and kind of frame opportunities and so that's that's been a blast. You know, we're just trying to you know, we had conviction around selling the push pay for certain like shared vision. And so seeing that that happens is fun for me. And then, you know, past that, we'll see. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Colin, for taking the time to come on today. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you all. And before we go, can you please tell our listeners where oh, they yeah. can find out more about you and Resi? Oh yeah. Between the pine. <laughs> you don't need to find <laughs> out anything about Resi. Resi's website is resi.io and it's a live streaming company. And then pushpay is pushpay.com. Awesome. Love Thank it. you so much, Colin. Thanks, Colin. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Let's Venture podcast. Colin had so many good things to say today about leadership, growing a company, and the lessons he learned along the way. If you liked what you heard, give us a review and check out lets-venture.com for more resources to help your small business take flight. See you next week.